first of all, I was like, damn, don't talk to me like that. Seeing the beauty through the Welcome, welcome, Obsidian Gang. Uh, welcome back to our episode six. We're uh, episode six. That's that's we're we're getting up there. So this is the Obsidian uh, Obsidian Strength Podcast. Uh, it was established by myself, Alex, and Clinay Cameron in July 2022 in order to inform, empower, and highlight BIPOC LGBTQ plus people in the strength and fitness industry. Our mission is to hold fun yet safe and meaningful conversations that strengthens our listeners, mirrors audience, and pierces through the dark myths to reveal our truths. We are here with we're here with Morgan, Morgan Vaz. So I'm really just like excited. Um, so uh, Morgan Vaz is uh, like a badass athlete um, that I worked with, uh, not directly, but she helped me out with some lifting. She is an Olympic lifter. Um, she's like strong as shit, low-key jealous. Um, she is definitely a powerhouse, and I'm really excited to um, welcome her to the podcast. <laughs> welcome, Morgan. Thank you so much. Thank you for I'm being here. Be here, yeah. And I just feel like um, I made a decision a long time ago to only participate in programs that had mission statements like yours, and having you kind of like reiterate why you started this project and the pillars of um, like maintaining mirroring audiences identities and having safe and meaningful conversations i'm just really happy to be here and support a podcast that believes in that yay thank you we're we're grateful to have you and i'm just like oh, <laughs> you are you're dope like you're a real deal so it's like really exciting to um, have someone of your caliber here we're just really excited that you um took the time out of your day out of your busy schedule to um be here with us yeah alex do you want to go ahead and start with the first question yes 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 so we're going to do an icebreaker we're going to just start off with the icebreaker question and kind of go around the room a little bit but for you first morgan first icebreaker question is what is your number one hobby outside of nutrition and lifting okay so i was this by a man in a Starbucks not too long ago. I was so caught off guard because I wasn't sure if he was trying to like flirt with me or if he was just being like a genuine person. But straight out of the gate, he was just like, what are some of your hobbies? And the only thing I could think to say was eating at restaurants. <laughs> that's literally what I said my hobby was. And I was so embarrassed, but I also, I just think that that's my hobby. I like researching. I like trying new foods. I like Ooh. going into different, like, uh, fine dining all the way to, like, a fonda, like your your grandma's kitchenette kind of thing. Um, yeah. I know that that's kind of tangentially related to my job because of nutrition, but it's just, I love food. I love everything about it. Yeah. That is, like... I you just blew my mind with that. That is a perfect hobby. Like, are you kidding me? The my hobby is eating. Like, that's that's a bomb ass hobby. I say that can be a hobby, and so it's a hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh my, oh my gosh, that's uh, that, no, that's good. My partner cool tease, Clinay. You're next. What's oh oh yeah no I'm saying that my partner's a foodie so like that's that's all we do is <laughs> it's like I've got in the habit of like even taking pictures of food so I think <laughs> it's like uh it's been when half of your when half of your entire when half of your entire picture feed is a food and just different dishes like you know you know that you know that you've been you swallowed up by like the foodie foodie mm -hmm. trend oh no it's her entire profile oh like. geez <laughs> But yeah, I <laughs> finds, um, I would say, Ooh, that's a good question. Um, it, it all involves food. Um, me, I like cooking for, um, cooking for my friends, cooking for my friends and my partner. Um, I feel like it's a very therapeutic thing. Um, learning and trying new, trying to make new dishes like chicken dips and all kinds of stuff like, um, and, uh, and also bartending. I enjoy bartending. It's, it's Ooh, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's what's up. Well, cheese. How about you, Alex? Um, so mine is okay. So it's just like a recent hobby. So 
I have a tortoise and I have a dog. And the great thing about a tortoise is that you can grow plants that they eat. So my hobby lately has just been growing, growing all these different types of plants in which I can put in her tortoise table that I built through, <laughs> I, built dur- I built during the pandemic. And it's just like been a very good hobby. Like I have, now I just have a crap ton of plants. I have a mulberry tree and she can eat the leaves. I have a fig tree. She can eat those leaves. I have spider plant, aloe cactus. Like it's, it's a lot. It's like, I have a lot of way, I have way too many plants, but uh, that's my biggest hobby is just like finding, find like while I'm walking my dog, I (laughs) pick up like pull leaves, pull weeds out of other people's gardens. So that way my tortoise can eat it while also, also growing, growing different plants um, so that she can eat. That's, that's been a big hobby of mine. I know it's like the, I know it's like the the left. I know like from like I'm like the one with the chef degree, but I'm like you know to the left side. I'm like of, oh, I just like growing plants that are edible for my tortoise to eat. I love that, and I actually think that it's exactly the same as clays because you just want to provide like a nourishing resource for a thing that you love, and where it's a human partner or a tortoise, um, the two of you have like a very similar hobby mine was just feeding myself you guys are (laughs) we do that too we do that too yeah yeah. don't get me wrong like i'm i'm growing plants for her but i'm very excited to be eating these mulberries and these figs like i'm doing it so she can also take part of it but also there's a whole me aspect of it too so um yeah yeah alex edward (laughs) Edward, Edward passed away, unfortunately, around Christmas. So it's just Roti, but Roti holding the down the fort and she better outlive me. That's the whole point. Yeah. So my tortoise's name is Roti. Um, It was suggested I name her Tortilla. And I'm like, I am not like Latin American. Like that is not where I am, but I am Trini. So she's Roti (laughs) instead of Tortilla. That's so funny. My dog's name is Tortilla. So <laughs> that is yeah. That's I was you know I was wondering what Tia was short for. I was like you're like Tia Tia, and then nice that that totally makes sense now. Um, this is awesome. the foodie episode, actually. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all works out well <laughs> for all sure, right. for sure. So we have this one question that's definitely like the base question, but I really think it's so important because I feel like everybody starts somewhere is. What is your origin story, Morgan? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, Okay, so I think that deep-rooted dissatisfaction with my own body is what got me involved in sports. And that was the first time that I felt like capacity was more important than the way that I looked. Like my priorities shifted from being attractive and being palatable and being desirable to being strong and being forceful and being independent before CrossFit. Honestly, I was just in these situations kind of reinforced, honestly, the male gaze and heteronormative ideas about the way that women should be. Once I got involved in CrossFit and weightlifting, I just felt like there was so much else I could be than skinny or good looking or able-bodied. And I think that having a life of prioritizing the wrong thing has given me a unique perspective to like, never want to go back that way. You know, I never want to forget that um, strength can be more life-saving than the way that we look or how desirable we might be to somebody or how normative we might be in society. So I don't know if I would say like being really dissatisfied with myself and not really having a great sense of self-worth is an origin story, but that is a big piece of what brought me to where I am today. So I kind of think that that's it. I mean, that, I mean, that is totally a good origin story. You know, I feel like, I feel like we all, I feel like we all start somewhere and sometimes it's not the most positive start but 
it doesn't but i think that's the best part about like the journey is like it's a roller coaster for a reason <laughs> like no um yeah no for me i i mean i i resonate like mine's was more so my family felt some type of way about my body and how i looked and my you know weight you know and stuff like that so i would try to like the only reason why they were concerned about my weight is because they were concerned about whether or not I would attract a man or, you know, something like that. And so, you know, I kind of, I, girl, I, I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of people <laughs> with that um, <laughs> to, you know, fit this mold. Um, and um, just to keep it short and keep it brief, like, you know, just to, to fit the mold of like what society expects us to look like. And mm-hmm. um, even though now, like, you know, it, and I even noticed like the difference, like when I was like in shape, quote unquote, or, you know, versus how I was at, at times, I was just like, oh, they're only attracted to me when I look a certain way, you know, or. And so the fact that you took it upon yourself to work towards like fighting against that, it speaks volumes because a lot of people are still struggling with um with you know eating disorders body dysmorphia and so on and so forth and um i i commend you so yeah no that's that's a kick-ass origin story because now you're yeah. an olympic weightlifter a competitive olympic weightlifter teaching people yeah about- it's ironic because the thing that i went to to help shape my body and become more attractive ended up being the thing that saved me from that in the first place you know and i do think that uh, it's really kind of, I want to say embarrassing, not in a way that I'm embarrassed to talk about it. It's really hard for us to say out loud that we want to be liked and we want to be loved. And so there's a little bit of shame associated with saying, yeah, I joined the gym because I wanted to look good. And uh, I, I agree. This is so many people's story and it ends up being the thing that kind of frees you from that school of thought in the end. Hundred percent. I um I feel like I'm I'm the heaviest I've ever been, but I'm actually liking my size, and I'm just like, okay, if I just you know kind of tone it up a little bit, like I'm I'm cool with it. But I always used to obsess over like, oh, I'm not I'm not at or below two hundred and pound two hundred and ten pounds. Like you know, it's 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 just like, and so the fact that we're talking about this now, um, I'm pretty sure people did don't even wouldn't have even imagine that this is something that we struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. but the fact that you're embracing this is just, it's, I think it's dope. I think it's dope. So I appreciate you being vulnerable with that. So, yeah. Yeah. Way to, way to go for like, I'm just going to throw it out. Way to go. Like that is like the level of emotional maturity that like, like is, is top tier, you know, to be able to be like, Hey, this is when I felt really bad, but now like. It, it it has shifted to something else mm-hmm. and and like and knowing that acknowledging that but also like sometimes just like it's being proud of that moment a little bit of being like this brought me to here mm-hmm. and that and that is okay yeah. yeah and it's not um like it's a very ubiquitous school of thought you know there's so many people out there that are still kind of working through it and struggling through it and I think that that's one of the reasons that I think I'm a great nutrition coach is because people will look at me and say, um, you know, you, you, I want to look like you, or I want muscles like you, or I think that, um, if I looked the way that you looked, I would never have a problem. And I want to be like, sis, I've got so many, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like it has nothing to do with the way that you actually look. It's the way that you see yourself, which is quite different than, the physical body that you occupy. And I think because I have had such a like dark history with my own self, I can really relate to my clients in a way that, you know, it is, there is every and then there is a person out there who says they've never struggled with body dysmorphia. And I just wonder what is that life like? Cause I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that life is like. Yeah. And it's also how about how you feel. And so it's uh yeah it's it's about how you're feeling i think that's my my thing right now is like how is my body feeling uh Mm -hmm. i'll just go ahead and ask the the next question um 
Unless you had something to do it. Good. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, (laughs) um, Morgan, what are three things you've learned about yourself being a queer competitive athlete in Olympic weightlifting? Um, okay. I code switch really, really well. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think that I realized I was doing it as innately or subconsciously as, um, as I was. And actually my wife will kind of point it out to me. This can be specific to athletic spaces, but also, deeply religious spaces um, like when we were in Mexico where the population is largely Catholic and we're passing a group of men I will just very casually drop my hand from holding hers you know and a lot of that is about safety and yes. trying to minimize my impact because I don't want to offend them and so I'm doing that as like a survival mechanism but it's a bit of a skill and I didn't realize that I had that skill um, until I was put in spaces that were very male dominated or very, very heterosexual or very religious at times. Yeah. Um, another thing I've learned about myself is I actually thrive under pressure in the preparatory arts of my competition. I will doubt myself. I will doubt my training. I will wonder if I deserve this platform, but then when I'm actually competing and there's a number I have to hit in order to win, I do really thrive in those moments. I'm still figuring out how to harness that and how to make it a little bit more consistent, um, but it is a big piece of why I think I've gotten this far because I actually do really well with game day pressure. And then another thing that I've learned is the way that I talk to myself about anything is how I talk to myself about everything. And so that same sort of cord of body dysmorphia and being really unsatisfied with myself, that comes through in my job, in my athleticism, in my performance, the way that I bounce back after a miss. I've had to work really hard to curb this negative self-talk that feels very innate and very natural for me. I didn't realize what a terrible impact it was having on me as a person, not just as an athlete. So there's been a lot of stuff I have to kind of comb through to be a better athlete, but it's made me also just a happier person. No, that's dope. And what was, what was something um, that kind of made you kind of have that, like not necessarily wake up call, but just like, okay, I got to get this in check because um, this is important. Yeah, so I think that I was probably my most competitive about three or four years ago. And I was uh, given the opportunity to compete for Team USA. And I was actually competing to make totals to try and make a team or make a stipend. And I was working with a coach who wasn't able to emotionally support me and I disagreed with a lot of his policy and how he was treating other athletes including other teammates and and things like that and I think that for me the wake-up call was needing him to tell me that I was good enough even though I know that I didn't value his opinion out of the gym that was a really weird like fork in the road for me like you don't trust this guy walking down the street. You don't trust him with COVID policies. You don't trust him with the way he's treating other female athletes on your team. You don't really trust him to take care of your safety. But on the other hand, you're sourcing all of your confidence from asking him if you're good enough. And I just got so tired of needing somebody else to tell me that I was good enough. And so I really wanted to work on believing it for myself, being like, fiercely independent, you know, like the greatest athletes have such a deep rooted faith in themselves that they don't care what anybody says. They, they put their faith in God, they put their faith in their talents. And they say, even if I miss this game, I will win the next one because I deserve it. I am the best. And that kind of like unrelenting trust in yourself. I'm just, I'm jealous of that. And I, I think that when I was leaning on people that I wouldn't otherwise ask advice from to tell me if I was good enough or not, that's when I was just like, I need to work on myself a little bit more. I need to work on my own confidence a little bit more, my own mindset. Mm. Wow. Uh, Yeah, no, go ahead, Alex, go ahead. No, that's, I mean, that's, I think I've definitely had that 
happened a couple times too where it's like you you don't even value this person outside of whatever you're doing but it's just like i need i need you to give me a pat on the back real quick <laughs> like it's like it's like just run over here give me a pat on the back and then you can just leave me alone and just never touch me again but like you just need it once and uh yeah no that's i mean that that's that's deep if you don't mind me asking like how did you how did you do how do you kind of work on yourself to no longer need that yeah i'm still a work in progress and i feel like a lot of people that have grown up in probably like similar similar childhood environments or uh, a lot of like uh people with people pleasing tendencies or needing like constant animation like we will just always be working on it you know Uh um a major thing that kind of sits with me is super cheesy but um that I like compulsively do is I always imagine what could go wrong and I think a lot of that is a safety procedure like I want to prepare myself for the worst thing so that if it happens I'll be like okay I've already been here I've already rehearsed it and there's this kind of like stars floaty like quote that goes around this like basic girl quote that's like instead of imagining what could go wrong imagine what could go right And I don't know if it was like the time of day or the mood I was in or like the desperation I felt, but that really hit me as like, I get to imagine whatever I want in my head. I get to choose how I want to spend my thought. And I'm actively choosing to hate my body, hate myself, hate my sport, hate my training, hate my, my future. And if I could just shift that into making my brain like, deeply hopeful energized capable proud place like how much happier would I be on a daily basis and so I do practice a lot of like positive self-talk uh after like missed lifts or after each ses- session I write down something I'm really proud of effort wise something that I'm really proud of progress wise something I'm really proud of attitude wise so I make sure that I cover all of the things that are important to me as an athlete Uh, And I'll write it in my little training book. And it really helps with me pulling myself out of what might be a bad day and putting myself back into the mindset of like every day that you train, you're getting 1% better. Uh, As far as like body positivity and body talk, I realize now being a nutrition coach that your body is so incredibly like it's a survival machine. And if I don't respect it, I just feel like a fool, you know, like it's designed to keep you alive through feast and famine and through all different kinds of training or, and the way that I would just spend my time here on earth, not liking my survival machine feels like so futile to me. So, um, reading a lot of books, practicing mantras, doing some daily gratitude stuff. It's shifting for sure. No, that's awesome. And, and just to kind of add to that, like, um, there is a book that I have been reading or listening to, and it's called The 12 Week Year. Um, mm. Also um, starts talking about it compares like thing. It's 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 basically like a great life coaching book um, is what I'm getting from it. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I got where it was, results are not the attainment of great, but confirmation of it. And so just because of the fact that you know, you're still working through things and this, that, and the third, it doesn't mean that you're not great. It just, it just means that, you know, the result when you get that medal or when you place or what have you, that just confirms that you're already great. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you saying the whole thing of your um, survival machine and kind of, you know, putting it uh, down in a sense is, um, it's it's doing a disservice to yourself because you're not, this is something that you're gifted with. Yeah. 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 I had a psychologist once who was telling me, like, you have the potential to go and make this team. He was basically like juicing me up and saying, like, this is this is really true. And I said, you don't know who I am. You have never watched me train. Uh, We meet via Zoom for an hour once a week. Like, how do you have any business telling me how great I am? And he was like, how many medals do you have? How many titles do you have? How were you invited to this meet? Were you, did you ever represent Team USA? Do you have a singlet that says USA on your name? Like, I don't need to be told that you're great. You have all of this external feedback that's telling you the type of athlete that you 
are and you're not willing to face it for some reason. Like you can't see your own reflection in the mirror. And first of all, I was like, damn, don't talk to me like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) you're right. You know, Um, it's just so, it's so interesting. Actually, there's this really, um, there's this incredible athlete competing for Team USA right now. Her name is Mary and she was, she's really good at being vulnerable. I think it's because she's so new to weightlifting that she doesn't um, believe that she needs to be guarded because because the internet hasn't burned her yet, you know, nice. um, she's really good about just like telling us the truth in her Instagram posts. And she says that she struggled with confidence on the platform. And one thing that she has found success in is talking about herself, like in a third person. So instead of saying, I'm so great, I'm going to do this. She'll say, Mary can snatch this or her father's name is Joe and, and coach said, Joe's daughter can snatch this and seeing yourself as like a third person, you can actually believe in your accolades and your capabilities a little bit more because there's something about ourself that doesn't want to see our own greatness. It feels too scary, too unreliable unreli- for some reason. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. I, I think I, I think I've, I have started doing that with like, the, if I ever start like thinking negatively, I'm like, I'm like, Rebecca, I was like, stop. I was like, I was back off. Let Alex, let Alex do her thing. Like, I just like named that type of mindset with a name. So then that way I can like talk back to it in a way where I can like tell her, I'm like, yo, back off. Alex got this. And like, and like, and it sounds really like juvenile, but it actually really, it, it does help to kind of like sometimes you just need to name it out loud mm-hmm. that like and without it instead of saying like my or first person do it like third person or just talk to about, about you're like you know, give your personalities kind of like a little bit of like a name that way you can talk about them out loud but it really does help with kind of being like shutting that voice out to like let some positivity in and just you don't think about it too much and then you just do it yeah, so, that yeah that... of um like parts work in therapy one tactic is like if you had a uh, trauma happen to you when you were six and you're still kind of reliving your coping mechanisms from when you were six you can address the six-year-old in yourself and be like baby morgan i know that you weren't taken care of at that time but i'm here for you now i'm 35 we're safe in a home you're in a loving relationship and so it is it doesn't sound crazy to me. It sounds like compartmentalizing pieces of ourselves that need attention or redirection. I mean, that's very effective. And I wonder who is Rebecca and what did she do to you that you named your <laughs> evil person Rebecca? <laughs> Re- Re- Rebecca. So like not trying to put my whole government out there, but Rebecca is my original. It's like one of my middle names. Okay. Got it. So, so, uh, and she, she, she gets spicy and she, she's a negative Nancy sometimes, but we, we, we talk it out. We're good. We're good. <laughs> we all have multiple personalities. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we, we work through things. We're like, <laughs> we're okay. We're, we're doing well. <laughs> we hold hands sometimes. It's great. I'm checking Next question is, um, what has, coaching and doing nutrition given you? Mm. Um, I think that I've always wanted to make an impact on a large scale. I thought that I wanted to be on the real world when I was younger. Yes, yes. I'm now so thankful that I wasn't because those people's (laughs) lives are ruined. And if anybody saw me at 19, they would totally like hate who I am today. (laughs) But um, I think that I like I needed to understand that the impact wouldn't really come from sheer numbers, but from the depth of the impact. And so shifting into this, like basically micro relationship, all of my nutrition clients and with all of my coaching clients has allowed me to watch people feel proud of them. 
themselves, to conquer fear, to improve their relationship with food, um, to feel like very independent in social situations that they might otherwise have anxiety in. Um, I've watched people get out of bad relationships, including myself, because strength and bar allowed them to feel like figuratively strong enough to leave, you know? And so I think that I always wanted to, it sounds so super cool to say, I always wanted to help people feel better, but I think what I always wanted to do was share the lessons that I myself learned. And I get to do that really effectively with both strength coaching and nutrition coaching. I get to kind of like pass the wisdom on. I am the elder giving it to my little children. Um, <laughs> and that feels really rewarding. Yeah, that's so um, I like I like the the elder little children. It's like, you know, I feel like I feel like that that, that is that is always needed. I feel like needed and such a good reminder for for just individuals that are even if they're like your same age, sometimes like you just need to hear it out loud to like really, really have it resonate or sometimes like you forget about it. It's like remind, get a reminder. Yeah. yeah. Like who did you need when you were growing up? Who did you not see? What messages did you not receive? And if I can be a small portal into like a delivering that for other people people that might be in need now, whether they are 16 or 35 or 55, I think that that's such a, important role well that's awesome yeah no i i um like with having experience with coaching and stuff like that it's that's been um a dope thing to do as well is just to kind of reach people um that um either have a similar uh background as you or somebody that you can um that can you can help with your previous experience and so um it's just like it, it even even it, it even trickles or you know, kind of correlates with, with life as well. And so it's just mm -hmm. like you're able to kind of compare your strength um, to life, like it, it kind of clicks. Um, and so, yeah, that's dope. <laughs> uh, next Sorry. is, uh, uh, and this is kind of like transitioning over to like segueing into like kind of the um, nutrition side of things, but it's specific is, um, what is the dynamic like for building a nutrition slash training program for women and menstruation? Like what's, what's that dynamic like? Yeah. Well, the first thing I really want to say is that there has been this problematization of women who are peri or postmenopausal. There's like a big trend right now about having to treat those women differently or having to treat people who are getting older differently or having to treat people who have specific thyroid disorders differently. And while that is true because every individual needs different prescriptions, I feel like people who menstruate are kind of being taught to fear their cycle, um, either by taking birth control to completely not have a cycle whatsoever, or by believing that they can't achieve strength or composition changes once they lose their period. And so I think that correcting, course correcting that and just providing a little bit of education to everybody in every stage of menstruation is really helpful. Um, but I also think that there's still a couple people out there who believe that if they are meant to have a period that not having one is okay. I mean by that is amenorrhea or exercise induced amenorrhea, which would be like severely undereating, overtraining in a way that you lose your biological cycle. Um, or like I said, people who are, are purposefully taking birth control to not have a cycle at all. Uh, those big things we kind of look out for in the industry. You know, if the cycle is an indication of a body being biologically healthy and performing well, then the absence of a cycle must indicate otherwise. And that's a big thing that we want to kind of address. For example, if somebody were coming to me with fat loss goals, but they weren't having a regular period, fat loss goals are not something that I can help them attain until we achieve like what feels homeostasis, which would be having the cycle return. Yeah, no, I didn't know that there was a kind of a a trend going on with menstruation. Like we, I, I feel like when you mentioned that yesterday in our talk, like, um, I was like thinking like we don't really 
talk about that that much. But since you're mentioning now, like I, I feel like I live under a rock that it's trending <laughs> and everything. Like, because for me, like I never thought about how to train and like kind of work through my cycle while I'm training and competing. Um, because m- what birth control or not, I still had a cycle. And so um, mm-hmm. interesting to to see that there is, you know, there are things that like people are trying to adjust and address according to like hormones and menstruation. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's you know what? You know what? It's so one thing that I learned from. So a friend of mine, she did get um I think gastro something like they take a piece of your stomach, whatever. Gastro bypass. Yeah, there we go. There we go. So she ended up getting that and like with, with like she and she lost a ton of weight and she was like, so what happens is that your hormones get trapped in fat cells. And so as you lose weight, like those hormones kind of come back. And she was like, she had like a period for like two weeks. Is that, is, is that something that you've heard as well? Like the fat cells hold in hormones or yeah. No, I mean, I don't believe that hormones are stored in fat cells. And I also mm-hmm. think that the fluctuation of fat cells, remember, we can never really like get rid of them. They either shrink or expand in size. To me, the bigger likelihood is that this person went from consuming 22 to 2600 calories a day, and they had the stomach sleeve or gastric bypass, then they were all of a sudden dropped into 800 to 1000 calories a day. And that put the body into a state of biological shock. And this can happen when Ooh. I'm increasing people, it can happen when I'm decreasing people. It's a calibration that the body needs to kind of like have time to adjust to. And that's why I think a great nutrition coach will make small, sustainable changes over the courses of a period of time so that your body can get into a groove. It would be the equivalent of going 180 miles an hour and then breaking at zero, your head's going to fly through the windshield. And I think that that's the same thing that happens with gastric bypasses. You go from one end of the spectrum to the other, and then your body is just left to kind of figure out what the fuck's going on. Good, good, good stuff. Yes. Hormonal messaging is a function of fat as a macro. So maybe um, the consume through our diet aids with hormonal messaging. So the speed in which enzymatic functions happen, the speed in which the messaging happens, um, they allow things to function properly. I don't think that it functions as a storage site for hormones, Mm -hmm. but it just makes sense that an improperly fueled person might experience some hormonal disruption. And hormones are in charge of everything. That's your hunger, your thirst, the way that we sleep, obviously your period, but usually people are just thinking about like libido and periods. Hormones are what make you happy, what make you able to get up a chair and and move, you know, what make your skin glow, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning. That's (laughs) that's really, that's not, no, that's like, that is. Makes, that makes sense because I was like I was confused and I ended up in a Google black hole and I was still confused and so and so and so it's all and so like you know I mean that is, I mean that's that is uh and that's crazy and like with myself personally like you know I rescue dog in um dog in August and you know I was at my heaviest at almost almost four hundred and. Just walking. I mean, he's a big baby, and I walk him four times a day. And I just ended up walking six to six to eight miles a day, not unintentionally. Um, and I did that on a regular basis. And like, I went from having like I would get my period like once every three months, which was like what it normally was. I didn't get my period until I was like sixteen, so it's always been like hit or miss. But I went from getting it once every three months, and now it's like okay, like it's like one every like it's it's getting back to a regular a, a regular like monthly cycle since like you know since I started walking my dog like in August to now like I've lost like a little over 60 pounds and it was just like I, I, again like I knew I needed to lose weight and I ended up getting a dog and then I ended up walking it wouldn't like all those things just in, ended up happening mm-hmm. and like so that that so that is also something I'm like personally going through it was like oh like 
now like like now it's a little bit more regular and i'm like i it's it, things are kind of like i feel like i feel better like my i feel like my body feels better um, I would kind of challenge you on because I don't want to make the mistake of thinking that walking induces periods, but I wonder if now <laughs> you're so regimented <laughs> that you might be waking up at the same time every in the morning because he needs to go out and pee. You might be going to bed at the same time because at 9 p.m. 30, he looks at you, you know, it's time to go out and then you go to bed at the same time. So your sleep might be improving because you're going on four walks a day. You might know, all right, I got to eat now because I usually walk him around noon. Because you're walking four times a day, you might actually have some decompression and some stress relief because walking has been proven to help with that. So a combination of sleeping regularly, eating more often and having less stress, those might have been the things that came through to kind of like save your cycle. And those were all byproducts of getting the dog. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That is, and that is all true. Like I, it is, it is, it is now, he has now broken up my day in four different, in four pieces. Yeah. And like, every, and, it, and it is, it is on a regimen because he will not literally wake me up and or sit on my chest to wake me up. And he a hundred pound dog on your chest. That does not feel good. So it's a good wake up call. So <laughs> yeah, you need um, a schedule. He helped you out with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I digress. So next question is: um, How does it feel to have Mexican citizenship and be able to represent Mexico on the international stage? Yeah, uh, really complicated. I do not really feel like, um, I don't feel culturally Mexican. I haven't grown up with a lot of the traditional music, the traditional foods. I clearly haven't mastered the language and I feel like a colonizer arriving in this country that people have been born and raised in and asking for a chance. And it feels um, like the hardest way to kind of confront my own identity politics. I've always wanted to know more about Mexican culture. I've always wanted to learn it, lit and feel it. I always felt like I'm out on that. And so I feel really excited to now be kind of like further entrenched in it, but I'm just trying to do it in such a, respectful and fair way that I'm like constantly checking myself. Like, do I belong here? Am I having a good time? Am I learning? Am I hurting? Am I taking a spot from somebody else? Um, I think that this is a little bit of that positive self-talk that we were talking about earlier is I need to just be proud of the lineage that I have and I need to embrace the opportunities that are offered, you know, which is being invited to compete, being invited to train with them. And instead of just like doubting my self the entire way, I think I should just have faith in my intentions, which is I just want to be a part of this Mexican weightlifting community. You know, I just want to feel like uh, I know more about it. I just feel like I bring joy to them and pride to them. And I don't feel like anybody would be upset if they heard me say that, you know? So I just, mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to do a better job at really believing that my intentions are good and that I wouldn't be invited if I wasn't invited, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, yeah, no, that's a lot. Have you, have you visited the, the town or like village that your mom was born in? Oh yeah. 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 So my first time going there, I was 12 and my first flight ever, my parents threw me on a plane and sent me to Mexico. <laughs> Um, nineties, nineties. <laughs> let me tell you. I know. Parents were like, "We are sending you now." <laughs> I was bawling. I was crying my eyes out. And my, I call her Ita because when I was little, I couldn't say Abuelita. So my Ita lives in <laughs> a very small town in Hidalgo, Mexico, and it's dirt roads and VW bugs and um there wasn't wi-fi until wi-fi was a thing you know and i think that 
having um, like those small pieces of exposure have definitely given me some sort of like belonging feelings, but it's hard to say that two weeks every summer when I was young was enough to make me belong in an entire country, you know? So I'm working through that now. Leisha, my wife and I are planning to move to Mexico city in June, which is going to be, I think a hugely impactful move for me. And, um, the both of us are working remote for the first time. It's an opportunity that a lot of people can't take advantage of. And I kind of just like do it for everybody that can. Uh, it's such a unique opportunity. Having my citizenship means that we could be there as long as we want to. I can obviously train with the team down there. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to learning more and trying not to be so rigid about my ideas of what makes a Mexican Mexican. Not being hard on yourself, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like no, because it makes me think of um uh the tennis player Naomi Osaka, like because um she you know is is what um half um Japanese and half black and from America, so representing yeah. you know her country and stuff like that. I know she probably got a lot of backlash and what have you, but it's still a part of who she is, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, or once um people such as yourself get past that like you know kind of um imposter syndrome like you know <laughs> they're, um you know it, it speaks volumes like I think people will eventually like just you know get off their high horse and realize that you know you are still um it is still a part of you um mm -hmm. and um kind of just wearing that wearing that proud because you're you're representing a number of different um minorities and um, you know, uh, people who, who, um, will likely, you know, be inspired by you, you know? And so, I don't know, I don't mean to, you know, kind of <laughs> get like that, but I, I just, you know, seeing, you know, your body language and your tone, I know it's like, I don't know you from, from Eve, but I know that it's, uh, <laughs> um, I know that that something like that is challenging, but, um, it is very admirable and commendable to, to kind of, go from representing America to representing um, a part of who you are. Um, and so, yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's dope. Um, yeah. Yeah. So big, big commendation for doing the Peter Pan dive into being uncomfortable. Yeah. I think the reason that I'm scared is because I've seen like Naomi Oka did have a bunch of like Japanese nayers that were like, you don't belong here. You don't know what it's like to be Japanese. And I think that's tough being on crowd side and hearing it's like being in a hate mob and hearing what everyone's saying. You're like, why the fuck would I put myself on stage? You know? Um, but I totally agree that in small ways, I'm already re representing people that are just like me, people that might have imposter syndrome, just like me, you know, I kind of, um, I've started to connect with other native Spanish speakers who are telling me like, oh, I've been practicing, practicing your Spanish, you know, like they don't hate me. Like I thought that they would or yeah. <laughs> um, other people who were born here and they just love being Mexican and they want to help educate me or they want to say when you're in Mexico city, you have to try this. And I love seeing your stories of you traveling in Mexico city. It's making me feel so like homesick. Like I'm not the offensive person that I'm like so nervous about being, um, I guess this kind of goes back to like what my sports is saying, which is just like, look in the mirror and look at the debt you're getting around you. Like people are really connecting with you and, and they are appreciative of, of what you're doing. So, yeah. I just uh, want to say that I um, really appreciate the fact that you are taking this leap um, because um, a, a lot of people, it seems like, you know, you have over, 12,000 followers and stuff like that. I'm sure like a lot of them are living vicariously through you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it just, it just goes to show that, um, you know, you are building connections with people more than, you know, you know, um, 
And so it's it's very inspiring to um, hear and tap into a little bit of your story. Um, but um, Alex, did you have a final question or did you want me to ask or anything like that? Um, I mean, my final question is like, so you're moving to Mexico and like, would you preface that? Like, this is your next phase. Sorry, so you broke up a little bit. Is this my next phase of moving to Mexico? Oh, sorry. In yes, yes, yes. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, mean, I would absolutely kick my own ass if I went down to Mexico <laughs> and take advantage of this. You know, like I have the opportunity to obviously continue training weightlifting because I love it. And so I am working with a new coach now that I really connect with him. I think he's a smart programmer, um, and I really want to continue seeing what he and I can do together. My plan is to train at a gym in Mexico City and twice a week go visit the on-site coaches at the Olympic Training Center and train um, with them there. I don't know if they will be dead set on writing my programming. I hope I'll be on a probation period. I don't know if I'll be able to continue following my coach's programming while I train there. I think that the first thing I need to do is show up and pay my dues. And what I want to do is I just want to show them how serious I can be. I want to show them the type of athlete that I am. And I want to show them that I can win medals in two different countries. So my plan is to just go and keep training and in any capacity that they'll have me, just keep pursuing that. Yeah. Yeah. We are, um, as a, as the U S currently, we are, su we have a super competitive 71 kilo weight class. And so uh, after being a 64, and transitioning into being a 71, it was less and less likely that I would be able to medal or podium here in the U.S. because it's just such a stacked weight class. And moving into competing for Mexico, it's not much different. They have an incredible collection of athletes, and they all happen to be 71 fucking kilos. So <laughs> when I compete with them, <laughs> I'm actually a 76, which means that I have to put on anywhere from like six to nine pounds in order to compete. Um, and the last two competitions that I've done with them, I've been able to finish like second or third. So I do feel really capable and I do feel really set up for success. I feel like I believe in what I can do. Um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to take advantage of the opportunity and see where it takes me. Nice. I guess um, I'll ask I'll ask another question for you if you don't mind. I don't know how much how we are how we're doing on time for you. We want to be um, respectful of your time, but um, what are you looking forward to um, as far as uh, what is to come next with um, competing and representing Mexico, and what has been the um, what has been like the mass difference difference. Um, with um, USA weightlifting versus uh, Mexican weightlifting? Yeah, that's a great question that I do really want to talk about because I think I was saying to you yesterday that if I ever hear another American athlete complaining about resources or competition venue, I'm just like going to hit them because going to Mexico for the time and learning that there is no training hall and that there is no check scale and that everything was very sort of I wouldn't say disorganized because everybody knows what they're doing it was just me the one white girl showing up who didn't know what was going on um but I think that it was very bare bones there wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance there wasn't a lot of um attention to what the athletes might need like I said yesterday in USA 
events, there's a training hall that's usually open two to three days prior to the competition start so that any traveling athletes can come and get their training in prior to competing. There's no such thing as any hall in Mexico. You wait until the first day's sessions are done, which could be 10 to 11 at night, and then 40 to 50 of the best athletes from the country swarm the hall and get their laps in as fast as they can. It's just such an incredibly different uh, access to resources and equipment and timing and space. And it makes it much more challenging. It is much more challenging to be a successful Mexican weightlifter. Uh, even down to the climate, the nature of the bars, they're not stored in cool, dry places. And so they're a little bit more rusty. They're a little bit more squeaky. The plates are falling apart. Uh, sometimes there's no such thing as a one or a two kilo plate. So you have to make a five kilo jump, which is a 10, 11 pounds. There's just so much variables to hurdles to overcome um, that I feel like a Mexican athlete on the podium has overcome far more than an American athlete on the platform. And the thing that I'm looking forward to the most, I don't know if it has anything to do with actually weightlifting. I don't know if it has to do with meddling. I think that I obviously want to bring pride to my family. The fact that my grandmother gets to see me on stage representing Mexico before I don't have her anymore. I mean, that's been hugely impactful. But what I really want is to just be immersed in their community. I just want to make friends. I just want to drink beers with them and laugh and sing Selena. And I just want to, <laughs> I want to know more about what it's like to live and be and feel and breathe Mexican culture. And I, um, I feel like being immersed in a team in a community is going to help me get a better grasp on that, you know? Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I'm um, I'm really looking forward to uh, following your journey and uh, seeing how it goes, like, you know, the good, bad and ugly, like there's always going to be, you know, some challenges we face, but I, I get a feeling that it's going to be more positive than anything else. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. that's yeah. Like super dope. Yeah. yeah. And I have control over that, right? I get to control. Yeah. Is it more positive than negative? And if I continue to remind myself, you know, throughout all of the things that could go wrong, I get to control my outlook on this. I think that I am, I'm really prepared to make this a largely positive experience. Yeah. That's what's up. And like, I just want to say like, I mean, you don't need it, but I want to say, I want to say, I'm very proud of you. Like you're doing big, big up stuff. And I'm really excited, excited for you. I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm, pumped to just like see you thrive so thank you thank you and yeah, yeah. Morgan, do you have any questions for us at all um before we wrap up um corner question corner Sorry. <laughs> no actually i don't think that i do um no, I just I just want to make sure that I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any questions right now. Yay! Cool cheese. Well, if you if you decide you do have questions, feel free to just reach out to us, email us. But we we are we are very we 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 to be as transparent as possible. So yeah, that's our that's our thing. Yeah. Cool. Boom! 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 Mm -mm -mm. You are going to edit this out. Mm -mm. <laughs> we are going to memorize it. All right, closing. Uh, I just want to say first, thank you, Morgan, so much for um, sharing some of your story. Um, it's been amazing. It's been inspiring. Um, and even, um, I'm sure, like, I, I can resonate with, you know, feeling like, you know, do I belong? Um, and for my short-lived um, Olympic weightlifting experience, um, I just want to thank you for continuing to go and continuing to re represent. Um, and um, I wish you the best. I wish you all the best um, with what you do um, as a uh, Mexican weightlifter, Olympic weightlifter. I think that's that's going to be dope. So 
um, without that, without further ado, um, thank y'all for listening. Please subscribe and share our podcast. We're really excited to share our journey and experiences with you all, as well as learn along the way. If you are part of the BIPOC community and you would like to share your journey, whether it's in strength, fitness, wellness, or anything in between, please send an email to info at obsidianstrengthpodcast.com. And remember to follow us on Obsidian Strength Podcast um, on Instagram and YouTube. Um, And again, thank you. Um, we're really grateful to have you on our on our our show, and um, we wish you all the Viva best. la Mexico! You know what? That's, <laughs> that's, Viva! <laughs> yeah, it's been great, and I've loved talking to you both. So I appreciate you both for having me. Yes! Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is big. We're excited. We're pumped. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Bye. All right.